You're listening to And you're listening to the Good Pop Culture Club, episode 53. My name is Marvin Yue, and joining me, as always, to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days, we have, returning from her white girl sabbatical, self-proclaimed professional Asian-American Jess Jew. Welcome back, Live, Jess. laugh, love, everyone. Live, laugh, love. <laughs> Van <laughs> life. Do you feel <laughs> rejuvenated? Um, like in a weird way, yes, because my dumb bitch ass decided to go from zero to 80 in terms of hiking and like <laughs> physical activity this trip. Like don't don't go hiking like nine miles on like per day or like five mile like steep incline hikes after like not moving for a year. I feel like we had this exact conversation a couple years ago when you went to Machu Picchu. No, no, no. So for Machu Picchu, I trained. Like, I trained for six months. I was stairmastering. I was hiking every weekend with my family. Like, I was actually ready for Machu Picchu. It was, it was tough, but, like, I was ready, and I recovered fairly fast. It's been a week since, like, I hiked one day, and my body is still mad at me. But in a way, it was very cathartic, because basically I was, like, expunging all the, all the like, trauma of the recent months and just replacing that with like pure physical pain uh <laughs> which arguably is easier to get over so i think it worked she's refreshed she 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 has the lightness of a white lady <laughs> yes that's true yeah so i would highly i guess it did work highly recommend a vacation where you punish your body but like in a positive way to to push out all the negative demons and just replace them with like blisters and like sore joints. The knees are rough, man. The knees were rough. <laughs> Punish the body, nourish the soul. Also joining us, professional culture editor Han Win. Hey, Han. Hey. How do you feel pat- coming off of uh, award season? Is officially over, right? Well, yeah. Except today, I got my first FYC event invitation. Uh. So oh, for, wow. what? For, Wait, for FYC the, for what? Yes. Okay. So for those of you who don't know, FYC stands for for your consideration. And so those are always like the all the multitudes of things that revolve around awards, but especially the Emmys. And when Emmys is during a normal period of time, we I think it's a September. And so you don't we don't start hearing from them until like i don't know at least the end of summer but i just got one so here's what it is and and i understand now why they did it but also they could have given me a heads up on it um so the invitation was for a top chef um drive-in uh <gasps> screening with food what? at the rose bowl Dude, but it's also flex yeah, it's also two days from now, though. And I'm just like, I have so much to do. I probably <laughs> oh, no. can't go. So, but it's but, everything I mean, like, we ever dreamed of to be on like a right, top chef thing. Right. Well, look, I, I did I tell you I told you that I was invited to like the Restaurant Wars episode for L.A. But, but you I also told attend. us you couldn't go, which is very. Yeah, sad. I couldn't go because <laughs> I had just started my job and that would have been a full day affair. Um, had I known that they might have been OK with it, I might have tried it. But yeah, no. Anyway, so I mean, I really want to go, but at the same time, it's like I have so much to do. Like, I feel like the last few weeks of just trying to get this new person hired is like just eating up into all of my weekends and stuff like that. And then stop being so responsible, huh? Including the Oscars, I'm so over awards. Um, and then of course the award season. If you count at least the movie award season ending and ended on the craziest note ever, but we will talk about that. Did it though? Did it? Not as crazy as Moonlight thing, but (laughs) yes, a bad no, a bad no. It's crazy in a way that you would not expect. So yes. Well, we're we're talking about the Oscars and other Asian American related entertainment news later on in our monthly news segment. Do we want this? But before we get to that, let's find out what pop culture is beginning us through this week. Um, Let's start with the vacation girl. Jess, what's Mm -hmm. popping? So, um, you know, we could talk about the Oscars and how kind of trash or not trash they were. But one of the cool things was the multiple commercials, trailers we saw for In the Heights, the movie coming out June. It's finally coming out. It got pushed like, you know, more than a year and a half because of the pandemic. It's directed by John M. Chu of Crazy Rich Asians fame. 
It is a fantastic musical book story by Lin-Manuel Miranda, a lot more grounded than Hamilton. It's about a, um, you know, it's about a, it's a neighborhood in uh, Washington Heights in Manhattan that's predominantly Latinx, Dominican, Puerto Rican, and just like that. It's it's a great show. I've never seen it. I've listened to the Broadway recording album multiple times. So I have re- been revisiting that. I think they also just dropped the first single from the movie today. Are there uh, as new we're recording songs? This. Are there new songs for the movie? I don't know if there's going to be new songs. It does seem like they've adapted it to be more contemporary and deal some more contemporary issues. Like they don't talk about ICE or deportation in the original movie in the original mm-hmm. play mm-hmm. and i you know from what i've seen in the trailers they've they've added that component and god it's just i love you know i miss broadway i miss theater i miss watching big shows and i do think i'm gonna wait and see this film in theaters like i'm gonna if i get any like invitations to advance digital screenings i'm probably just gonna pass because i really want to see this in no, a theater we should see it in theaters in a group and yeah rent out the theater Let's like i am it. so down Let's for that do it's it. june yeah june. i will arrange this shit like i will do this and then i will invest the money in this theater too <laughs> so yeah like, i mean i think if we just all like basically buy a ticket but we just make sure we all buy the ticket for the same screening like or like mm-hmm. you know I'll, I'll figure it out like let me use my like <laughs> can, logistical powers it was I wild think you can rent it out yeah Anyway. It it was wild to have like because the trailer for Inner Heights was like this is like the third big trailer that they've shown, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, they've done they've done a few cuts. They're all really good, They're really good high energy, and mm-hmm. it's it's wild because it's in direct juxtaposition with earlier in the Oscars broadcast where we saw mm-hmm. the trailer for the Spielberg West Side Story. What the fuck was that? Oh my god! I I literally was like, is this the dystopian like nightmare? It's also because- funny because West Side Story. I mean, I don't know if you guys knew this, like Lin-Manuel actually, okay, West Side Story is written by a bunch of white people. Mm-hmm. It's about, for those of you who don't know, it is Romeo and Juliet, but set in the 50s against a white gang and a Puerto Rican gang. So, mm-hmm. you know, very, to- like, thematically, you would think similar, but very different. One is very, like, old school, white, classic Broadway, and one is... um you know, Lin-Manuel Miranda, who wrote it, and it has rap and, you know, like... High energy. High energy. And yeah. and just, like, I have, like, very strong opinions about musical adaptations, mm-hmm. like, film adaptations of musicals, I should say. And I just love, like, John M. Chu is the hero we have been waiting for in this genre because I am sick of Rob Marshall. Stop letting him direct musicals. He's <laughs> bad at it. I, Mary Poppins 2 was bad. Um, I am sick of like these weird like, let's make it intimate and small. It's like no one goes to watch a musical for small intimacy. Like we came for the big ass numbers. <laughs> like give me the big ass dance numbers. I mean, John Chu cut his teeth, made his money off big ass dance movies. Step Up, the Justin Bieber movies, even Crazy Rich Asians, if you've seen it, very musical, very like lyrical. There are some like great dancing thrown for no reason other than the fact that he can gem and the holograms oh my god (laughs) i need to revisit that i think it's like really i think it's uh i think it's time has been kinder to it Mm -hmm. than it originally was uh so yeah i've just been revisiting and i have you know there's always that this is like so theater nerdy kid like please feel free to punch me in the face because this is like getting real like theater nerd annoying but, you know, you love the first adaptation you hear. So I just I think I'll just always prefer the Broadway recording version. But it's really cute because Sonny, who plays who's a little cousin, Anthony Ramos played Sonny in the original Aww. musical. And now he is now old enough to play Usnavi. But like it's Karen so Olivo, that she originated the role of Vanessa, like the, the female lead. One of the female leads, Usnavi's lo- romantic love interest, and like Karen Olivo, you just like you can't touch that bitch. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm this. I'm sure this woman, this woman cast as Vanessa in the movies, perfectly fine. She's probably very <laughs> talented, but like Karen Olivo is like beyond. Wait, she's also part Chinese, so I'm gonna rep her hard. 
<laughs> Wait, so um, who's playing it in the movie? I'm looking like at. Melissa Barrera. Oh, uh, my God. She's great. Um, I'm sure she's great, but she's not Karen Oliva. <laughs> no, I, I don't know about her musical chops. I'd have to like look into that. But she was on stars as. Uh, uh, oh, my God. What's the name of the show? Vida? Vida, Vida. Yeah. And that show is so good. And she she and her the one who played her sister are so great. So, um, but yeah, no, I, no, I understand. Like, the, so just, who who yeah. can who can hold a candle to a Broadway star? I, I mean, know. really. <laughs> I mean, so that's the thing with these musicals. If you listen to the soundtrack ahead of time, the story will be ruined for you. So if you're waiting to watch the movie for no. the first time, don't wait. Yeah, uh, you'll probably that, like the movie soundtrack a little bit more because you just like the first one you hear. Yeah, and uh, but that, it's it's a great, yeah. it's a great just piece of work we're gonna have a good time we're gonna be ready to cry yeah like i mean that's why i went to hamilton cold because i was like you know i don't want to know the story even though i I think it's way more emotional than hamilton because hamilton is still you know ultimately about these like kind of like lofty ideas rich guys you know ultimately like like white power brokers this is about an immigrant community and the second song on this in this show is about a first-generation college student who feels the pressure of representing her entire community on her back as she's trying to get through college, and just tears. Just, like, <laughs> tears streaming down my face, like, ugly song. I'm like, this is the second song. Why are you doing this to me? There's, like, you know, neighborhood grandma. There's, like, oh, memories. There's, like, oh, parental sacrifice. And you're just like, <laughs> so be ready for the be ready bring tissues yeah excited that we're the summer blockbusters have returned after taking a whole year off mm-hmm. all right no, this is my F- godzilla guys <laughs> no F9 big dance later. Mom, n- numbers mm-hmm. are my kaiju all right that's yes. my shit i'm very excited <laughs> bahan what's popping with you all right so i just started watching rutherford falls it is a sitcom on Peacock. I think all episodes are out now. If you got the free Peacock, you got three free episodes to watch. Um, but it has really good DNA. Um, it's made from Mike Schur, Ed Helms, and Sierra Taylor Onelas. Um, and they all have done, you know, collectively worked on shows like Parks and Rec. The Good Place, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Superstore. And so they have, it's very similar in that vein, in um, especially between Parks and Rec and Good Place, um, in that it's a community of weird, oddball, you know, people who, um, it's very quirky. And even though some of them can be somewhat bad or mean at times, eventually it's, t- you know, the main thing is about getting together and like being good people and trying to find that in people. So um, what sets this series apart is that Rutherford Falls is uh, co-created. Sierra Teller Onelas is um, indigenous. Um, She's Mexican and Navajo, I believe. And the writer's room has many, many indigenous writers in there. Uh, And it stars, if we were talking about the three main characters, Ed Helms is the white guy. Um, (laughs) Michael Gray Eyes and Jana Schmieding. Schmieding? are the other two stars. And basically it's Ed Helms playing this guy named Nathan Rutherford. Um, His ancestors, you know, founded Rutherford Falls. Um, And his best friend is Regan, who is played by Jana. Um, She just wants to create a cultural center for the, uh, the fakely named Minishanka tribe, I I believe, or Minishanka people. And then Michael Gray is his character is named Terry and he runs the casino in uh the town and so nathan rutherford uh since he is descended from the founders takes a lot of pride in that he runs the rutherford rutherford museum he wears old-fashioned like costumes he gives speeches that are very boring about it um he has a diorama and you know he 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 thinks he's down with everything but uh he kind of like overlooks the fact that like um no, his his people didn't found, you know, like they didn't own that place. Um, they yeah. took it over. So it, it's it, and of course, his best friend is from those people. And so like she's super, super sweet. She's one of those characters that kind of like is a pushover, but her heart's in the right place. But of course, throughout the course of the show, she starts like 
being able to speak up and, you know, do things and stuff like that. So, um, so far so good. It's not like laugh a minute when you start it, but then there are those like random, like quirky lines that I just like laughing out loud. So at one point, um, Dustin Milligan, he comes into town. He's from NPR because he thinks he's got, he can, <laughs> he can, uh, it's great. It's, he's such a white guy. Um, but he's from NPR because he, he wants to find that one sort of powder keg story. And Nathan Rutherford, like he doesn't want to move the statue of his ancestor because it's, you know, it's sitting right in the middle of traffic, but that's where he founded the town. So, um, so he's like, Oh my God, we can totally get this into a big story. So when Dustin Milligan's character comes to town, um, he's described as hot to uh, Regan, but she, but then later she look, takes a look at him. And she's like, um, you didn't tell me he was centaur hot. And so I was just like, okay, I love the show. Um, Gotta say, also, there is a Goasian um, character. Uh, Jesse Lee plays Bobby Yang. Um, so Jesse Lee is half Chinese um, and half, it just says American. I'm not sure what, that, what exactly that means, but um, is Nathan Rutherford's right hand. Uh, Jesse Lee is non-binary. And so it appears that uh, Bobby Yang is also, it, I don't know exactly, Um but at the same time, lots of great comic relief uh, has a very interesting dynamic when it comes to uh, uh, working with Reagan because Reagan is Nathan's best friend. And so I don't know. I, I just so far I'm really enjoying it. It's light. Um, it doesn't go too hard, but it doesn't like also let people off the hook. Um, yeah, it's it's I, I highly recommend it. And also in the wake of a horrible politician claiming that Native Americans don't have culture. I really like that this show is like <laughs> pointing out that there has been culture. There still is culture. And if you just don't see it for all the other stuff that the whiteness that's put over it. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's wild that we haven't had a show like this yet. And, you know, you know, say what you will about Mike Schur's style. I think if I want to watch something about like liberal optimism, I'd rather watch like the Mike Schur version than like certain mm -hmm. other people's versions. Um, <laughs> yes mike sure tries and he actually tries by hiring people yeah um who can do the right thing and it, i think mike sure is essentially the characters on the good place which is he's trying to figure out how to be good and do good so yeah yeah so that was a good thing so what's popping with you marvin all right, so i finally caught up with so i after our first conversation about Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I hadn't watched another episode until last week leading up to the finale. So I've caught up on all six episodes. And in the end, I came out a little lukewarm on the whole thing. Um, I know um, we talked about this last time we brought up Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And I think I'm just a little bit over traditional superhero stuff. And I was glad to see that they did touch on like the racial aspects of having like a black superhero and what that meant and like kind of the history of black superheroes in the Marvel canon. But I also felt like they didn't, they kind of whiffed on it, right? They didn't really go they, as hard as they could and kind of pulled their punches because thematically, I feel like the ending, I was not satisfied with how Falcon and the Winter Soldier turned out. They, yeah, they, they like raised all of these issues and then they kind of walked back on them. <laughs> Yeah, and I feel like maybe it's part of their strategy for these TV shows is not to make huge waves because if they do anything that changes the status quo too much, people who watch the movies will be confused, right? But at the same time, like, I I just... This happened with know. WandaVision too, which the conclusion in that show, like, most everything returned to the status quo, right? Like, things returned to normal. Um, and I, I just... I don't know. That's not as satisfying as someone who was at least a little bit invested in the stories. I So I don't necessarily think that they didn't change things so that it would confuse movie people. Actually, I think many changes happens in the movies. I think they didn't change it because they don't know how to make TV. And they just know, oh, <laughs> what if we want to make another season, which they clearly do for Falcon and Winter Soldier, or at least extend the storytelling. And so I think when Falcon and Winter Soldier, the biggest thing I could tell there was like, at least WandaVision attempted to have something like, discrete episode plots and <laughs> and like you know a vision of that whereas this one definitely felt like we had a movie 
And then we kind of chopped it up and we're like, well, what can we add to it to kind of whatever? And so it got very muddled, I felt. And they put too many plots in there. Um, and yeah, yeah, I, 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 I like and <clears throat> even like the end had a huge monologue. And that's like a monologue you would see in a movie, <laughs> but not a TV show. So there was just a lot of oddness to it. And they didn't know how to build character, which I thought was very weird because I was like, they tried. Um, they tried to give some really good moments and you know lines to people, but I was just like, how do you waste having these two people who have great chemistry together and not stick them together as much as you possibly can? Well, I mean, even their banter was like not good. Like, yeah, but but they didn't need to be. Like I could have seen them, you know, like building that boat and like serving seafood like the whole season, and it would have <laughs> been fine. But like they just kind of didn't know what to do because I think they were still thinking like movie. So, yeah. um, yeah. And so I haven't have... watched any of this yet. So like all this context, out of context, <laughs> like building boats and serving seafood sounds great to me. Um, You'll be so excited. disappointed. Yeah. I mean, okay. Well, my expectations to... are low now, so <laughs> you'll see what I mean. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to spoil it because Namar was still a big thing and people probably are, you know, waiting for everything to come out, like the, the Loki and the Ms. Marvel to pull the trigger on that Disney Plus trial but i think it's kind of a me issue too where i'm watching them portray like the bad guys in this series are people who are rebelling against oppression and like borders being forced back onto them after being free for a while and like i kind of sympathize with the rebels yep and and honestly i think that's one of the things that halfway they wanted you to because that was part of the reason for sam's big speech but then the show decided not to, at the very end, give them the benefit of that sympathy that they built up. And I just was like, wait, who died and who got a new uniform at the end? I was like, what yeah. is this bullshit? I, so- think, I think what it comes down to is like thematically conventional superheroes automatically align themselves with like the cops, right? With government and with, you know. Well, in our American mm-hmm. propaganda, <laughs> the military funds our movies. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And yes. I think that's what didn't sit with me well with the way that Falcon Winter Soldier turned up. Because, like, you have this black superhero that could be saying a lot more about what could be. And it's like, oh, no, he's going to he's gonna try to fix things from within. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, mean, you're too commie now, Marvin. Like, you're one of us now. And you're going to be like, military is just another version of police. And so. I mean, that that is the central sort of like tension when it comes to a lot of these vigilante stories. Like, you know, originally with Batman was the police were angry at him, you know, going outside of their jurisdiction and, and like just taking the law into his own hands. So that's why I was like, oh, Sam, now you're actually literally Uncle Sam. Um, oh. But uh, but now I'm just like, I don't know if I like you that much. <laughs> Also, I love the take where, like, if Batman really wanted to get rid of crime, he would just take his billions of dollars as Bruce Wayne and redistribute the wealth. Yes, I do have to say the good points because I don't want to, like, overshadow, like, what good the show has done. As you were saying, it brought up a lot of issues as far as, like, um, how America didn't want a black Captain America and how, like, even he thought, you know, that wasn't something he could do. But, um, like, yes, he is the black Captain America, but also unlike, let's say, Bruce Wayne, he doesn't have billions of dollars, yet he still has all these great gadgets thanks to the Wakandans. Um, He also is like physically fit, so he's not a super soldier. He didn't get the serum like everyone else. Yes. So like, and and like, you know, uh, my, one of my, uh, the TV critic at Salon was pointing this out, which is very true. Like that amazing, he has a great um, training sequence where he does like incredible feats of strength and stuff. Um, it just shows like how much harder a black man has to work in order to get these things, like these privileges <laughs> that these white men get um, in the MCU. So um, I, I very much like I support him in theory. We'll see like where this character goes, you know, in uh, in the movies. Maybe there will there, maybe once he's back in the movies, the storytelling will kind of even out again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I'm still going to watch Loki. I'm excited about that because we're going back to weird time shit. So I'm all I about love, weird time I'm shit. I am so excited I also love to Loki. see <laughs> and Owen Wilson. Very excited for Loki, and he's like DB Cooper. So yeah, I can't wait for that weird things. Huh. Uh, really quickly um, for our Go Asian segment, uh, recapping Top Chef 
season 18. Not many go Asian moments in episode four. Our Asians didn't, they were mostly in the middle. Um, Avishar, our our sweet Bangladeshi boy, <laughs> almost got sent home for bad rice, which was very disappointing. But he, luckily he for us. He knows though, Marvin. He knows. You don't have to be hard on him. He already knows, okay? <laughs> luckily for us, someone undercooked chicken, so he's safe for another week. Uh, I mean, yeah. bad rice or salmonella? Come on. To be fair, though, he was cooking, I think, risotto, which is white people rice, which is a little bit trickier. Totally Never make risotto on Top Chef, guys. Like, why haven't you learned this? All right. When we come back, we're taking a look back at last weekend's Oscars, as well as asking ourselves, do we want this on some um, Asian American entertainment news? We'll be right back. Hey, Brian, did you go to Saturday school as a kid? I sure did. Did you? Totally. Well, at our podcast, Saturday School, we don't teach a language, but we pass along the culture that we do know. And that's Asian American pop culture. Ada is a journalist, and I'm a professor and film festival programmer. We've watched a lot of great Asian American movies, and we want you to watch them too. Come listen to us as we look back at the pioneering films that have led us to today. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. Last Sunday, as we mentioned, we wrapped up 2021's, I guess, film award season with the, was it 93rd Oscars? 92nd Oscars? Which number was it? 93rd? (laughs) Which took place at Union Station. Which um, I, I'm still trying to figure out where exactly in Union no, Station. No, it's that they were extra at. room that's off to the side. Have you guys do none of you guys go to Union Station? My, I do my know parents, Union Station. I don't remember that space. Is it it like, is usually closed off because they rent that for events. So when you, um, well, it depends on where you're going. If you're getting dropped off at like the, from the street, if you walk in, it's right to your like left. It's it's always sanctioned off. It's this beautiful big room it's where ed, like they filmed there ed sheeran sheeran did his like music video there like it's it's just an event space it's usually empty and then if you walk and then if you keep walking on your right it's like the amtrak waiting area and then like down there is like the line it's like all the like metro lines okay i still I'm having trouble visualizing. It's near the front of the building where the street entrance is. Is it where the restaurant used to be? There was not. It's on the. It's it's directly across the restaurant. Okay. Because there's still a restaurant. It's like a seafood bar or whatever. And then, like, if you go across the hallway, there's. It's literally always empty. The Backstreet Boys shot their music video there. I'll, <laughs> I'll take your word for it because that that place looked like it already existed. They didn't build it out, so yeah, no, maybe I don't it's, know it's Union Station there. as well as you know. Usually, I'm just there to take the train, so I'm not like well, yeah. the, walking the around. The room is always there, but they obviously <laughs> built the stage and the seating mm-hmm. in the room. What did y'all think of this year's Oscars? Uh, frankly, I don't think they should have done it. I think also their insistence to first of all hold it, but then also force people to attend in person because you noticed there was no zoom um i think was a mistake and also kind of not cool for the people who um couldn't travel that there was there that affected the end as we will discuss um and like you know they they made an effort as far as like to scale it down make it more intimate um they extended the speeches which was great when it came to certain people um and so like there were certain creative decisions that i was like i don't know how i feel about this or that one was good but there were um a couple that were very bad decisions which i'm sure we can go into it was also weird that because they started in the middle of the day and you definitely got weird lighting issues at the beginning when the sun was still out coming yeah the the lighting was the weirdest the lighting was the weirdest to me. I was like, this is like, come on, Soderbergh, you you know better. Like, come <laughs> on, dude. Um, I mean, honestly, everything was good. I like, I don't know. I as someone who is also on like a nonprofit that does like it, it yeah, the Academy's a nonprofit, by the way. Like, as someone who's like also works in like a adjacent nonprofit who like has to do this stuff for survival, like they make a lot of money off the Oscars. I don't think not having it would have been an option. And I don't want to, I would not watch another Zoom thing. So for me, it was just like, you know, this, I feel like this was just like, 
we just got to roll with it and do what we can. And it's going to be weird either way. The Oscars are generally weird anyways, even in the non-pandemic <laughs> year. And they're always yeah. kind of boring. I still think this was less disastrous than the year Anne Hathaway and James Franco hosted. <laughs> right? That was so um, weird. <laughs> so like, I, and then it's really funny because you can definitely see like who is like naturally kind of charming. Like I thought some of the most charming moments were like, when Steve Young was talking about like watching T2 with his mom. That right? story like, was so relatable. Right. Like, it's so like <laughs> and then and then other parts are just like you look so uncomfortable right now without like the podium and the stage and like, you know, the it's it's always awkward to present and like read from a teleprompter anyways. And like I mean, I'm sure everyone is also just like unacclimated to socialization and stimulus. I mean, to be fair, Harrison Ford is often awkward in front of these things naturally right mm. no, that was that was just classic harrison. i thought that was funny like it's harrison yeah. ford like that's a great use of harrison ford yeah um so i mean the the very like you know i recognize the oscars for what it is it's like the frou-frou thing but i also recognize there is a economic impact for the people who win oscars and the movies who win oscars so none of it is real it's like it's like everything that's a social construct right like it doesn't really matter none of it's real but there is like real life Effects. consequences and positive effects for people and it does draw eyes because like we can talk about you know we're we're in a bubble and we talk about certain things and like not our awareness of certain things is dependent on you know who we hang out with but like look the you know someone in like arkansas is gonna be like oh there was a movie like about arkansas but it's about korean people immigrants and like oh the woman who won the who played the grandma like won an oscar about this movie set in Arkansas, like, oh, that's kind of cool, you know, and that might open a new window into something. So for me, the love is like, it's not for us. We already know. We already have our set feelings. I like really fuck the octopus. But, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I, I, I kind of recognize it for what they are. I also understand, like, maybe I'm like too into, it and I'm like, you know, as you know, I feel for like the academy members who just had to make the best. Or the people organizing it, not the necessarily the members, but the leadership of like making the best out of the situation. This probably makes millions for them, you know. Yeah, usually. Yeah. I mean, that's broadcast. what all. Yeah, that's the sort of the trouble with all awards is I hate them. I'm over them. They don't mean anything, but I know they do have real life effects for people, especially yeah. if you win and funding in the future and all that stuff. So it's one of those things where, like, when it comes to my job, um, having to kind of deal with it. Uh, previously in my other job we really were into awards that was just like hell for me um but yeah this one i just need to know what happens and so and like dude like i think a lot of the big wins were kind of we take for granted because it seemed inevitable but chloe's out yeah she had a good night the second woman to win Mm -hmm. best director and best film and only and the first woman of color at all in almost a century to win that award and now she can do whatever the fuck she wants. Yeah. And she's going to do a Marvel movie. She's going to do a Marvel movie? She's going to do a weird vampire movie? Like, how? this bitch can ask for whatever she wants now. It's going to be, like, that's exciting. How excited was Kevin Feige when he finally got a another No, Oscar I think she's no- the like, first Oscar-nominated, Oscar-winning really? Oscar director wow. in the Marvel uni- Cinematic Universe. Yeah, you know he's just like, He's like Thanos. My job here is done. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean she. She's, uh, you know, she, that's kind of again. It was so inevitable, and the conversation was longer than it usually is because we had an extra three months to talk about shit. So and I was she was almost... winning everything left and right, like you know. So it wasn't like ex- almost like wasn't exciting, but like that's exciting. Yeah, I mean, Chloe Zhao had a great night. She won both Best Director and Best Picture. And then, um, no, Minari didn't win um, a lot of the the bigger film awards, but they did pick up a win for Yong Yo Jung for Best Supporting Actress, yeah. which... I mean, Best Speech of the Night, let's be real. Yeah. Um, and then... That the, was such a weird moment, having Brad Pitt, the producer of the film, kind of botch the name. <laughs> I mean, also, not surprising. But at the same time, also... I mean, he's a producer in the sense that, like, he writes the checks. And he, I'm just like, I'm like, yes, yeah, not great anyways, but I'm also like... You know, Brad Pitt is not like on mm. set every day, like yeah. producing his yeah. own films. There are different types of producers, which I think sometimes people kind of forget. 
And one of them is just the financial, the name. And the then name, the other one, yeah, the clout, the fame. Mm-hmm. And the other one is actually maybe makes more of a, a direct influence on shaping it and um, may have more of a hand in casting and stuff like that. I don't think he was any of that. So <laughs> so he, did. He, gave, he did the check. I'm very glad. Thank you, Brad Pitt, for you know plan A, all that stuff. But uh, yeah. It was he, a little annoying that the Brad Pittness did overtake some of the narrative of her winning because didn't someone ask her in the back like the the back the backstage interview like what did Brad Pitt smell like and she answered I don't know I'm not a dog yeah yeah there's this whole narrative that's been kind of interesting that I've been following online where you know people are like oh she was fangirling over Brad Pitt he's like she's like oh it's nice to meet you and stuff like that and and like grabbed his arm or whatever and that's why they asked him about asked her about him spelling but it was like it's not that She's like, no, cool. she was calling him out. No, yeah, I feel yes, like she like exactly. Ottawa burn him on stage. Right? Yep, yep. That, that is that, you know, that's a, that's a prime example of cultural difference. <laughs> Let's just say that, you know, because um, we knew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the, that that sort of like Korean brashness of this, like, I'm going to say whatever's on my mind, and, but I'm going to be charming about it. I was like, that is so much like my friend's, you know, mom. And it, and, and it's just like, it's she's very funny. And so um, I've been watching some of her interviews in Korean where there's some subtitles and like she's drinking wine and stuff like that. I was like, oh my God, she's so Oh my cool. God, I'm taking this opportunity to like shade her kids still. Yes. That's, we love it. We love it. She kept adding. She's like, they always, it seemed like she was going to wrap it up and then she's like, but also, and I'm like, oh, this is good. It's all good. Yeah. Loved her. I think everyone fell in love with her. Uh, they might've misinterpreted her, um, but still, I think she just, her natural star quality showed. <laughs> all right. We can't talk about the Oscars without talking about how it ended with the wettest of farts. Oh man, that was a if I've ever heard one. So this is what I was talking about as far as creative decisions that did not work was number one. Um, one of the reasons why uh, Chloe Zhao's win and Best Picture win didn't feel as good wasn't wasn't just because we kind of knew it was going to happen, but because they shuffled it around. Usually um, at the Oscars, you end, with, you know, you get Best Director and then you get Best Picture. Mm-hmm. And the big, so that way the best picture win means the whole cast and crew and whatever, you know, gets up on stage and then they're all yelling into the microphone and stuff like that. This happened uh, maybe what, five or six before the end. And so then they had best actress and then the best actor to end the night. I was so confused because when they brought out best picture, I was like, wait, did they already do best actor? I was also did I scrolling. Miss a whole segment? Yeah, I was like scrolling. I was like, maybe I did I cook something and get away from my TV? And so I was like checking all the sites that do the live updates. And I was like, no, they haven't filled it out. And so I started seeing my friends <laughs> who are in the Oscars room. Um, they get the run of show. Uh-huh. Um, and so they're like, yes, you guys, best picture is before best actress and actor. And I was like, what the fuck? And then, of course, everyone kind of assumes that we understand why. Which yeah. was well, yeah. Like I think the prevailing theory, and I think it's—I don't know if the Academy will ever cop to this, but like, it's because they wanted to have a big Chadwick Boseman moment at the end, right? Yeah, the assumption was that he was going to get a posthumous Oscar for his role in uh, Mar Rainey's Black Bottom. He was fantastic in it. Um, it was also supposed to be preceded with Viola Davis possibly winning for her role in the Best Actress role um, category, but uh, and so like. Uh, I went on Gold Derby. I, I'm one of those predictors, the experts who predicts. And like literally that was the top pick. The odds were in Chadwick Boseman's favor. Um, you know, love you, Stephen Yun and uh, Riz Ahmed and everyone else in the category. But I was just like, yeah, of course. Um, so I think that was the prevailing assumption was that they would give him that honor to end the night. And it would be a really sweet, good moment. Because I, if you recall the Golden Globes, um his i think it was his wife yeah his widow okay so yeah so um was able to accept an award on his behalf and it was a really moving and lovely speech and so like if you saw the in memoriam which was like triple time speed up that was a weird in memoriam it was uh, like i i mean i hate to say it but i think they had to include a lot of people um and so i i you know i i don't want to like 
criticize that, but they did end it on him, if you recall. And so I think they were building up to this moment. But the unfortunate thing is, as we know, occasionally the Oscars surprise you. And that's what happened was Chadwick did not win. Instead, Anthony Hopkins won for his role in The Father. Fantastic role, like not taking that away from him. But like there are a couple issues. One was um, because he is 83 and he's not traveling on a plane in the pandemic. So he was in um, Wales at the time. So he was like some crazy what 2 a.m. 3 whatever yeah it's, late it's very it's a very bad time difference like it's the middle of the night he's not gonna be staying up yeah so he left he was there at the at the beginning of the ceremony and but he left because also he probably assumed he was not winning so i do not you know like fault him at all this is nothing taking away from his you know role but because he wasn't there it was like and so the you know the oscar goes to anthony hopkins and we accept on his behalf also <laughs> it was like joaquin phoenix doing it who's like the most awkward presenter you like you could not find a more awkward like movie star to do this you get the previous years yeah you get the previous year's winner usually like announcing it but that's why it was great to get like bong joon ho to you know and chloe zhao together but yeah for him to say that it felt so weird because like the last time i saw um joaquin phoenix i think he was talking about cows you know so in his speech so yeah yeah, it was just such an anticlimactic ending to an already kind of weird night, right? It's already... Yeah, th- I like the DJ, but um, <laughs> as, as far as like, that was a nice touch. But then they had the like, when you're talking about weird nights, Lil Rel had a little time where he was asking trivia to people and then Glenn Close did the butt. Um, so Yeah, the at some point it turned into so, like a wedding, re- a bad re- wedding reception. Right? Yeah. Because those are the only fun parts. Like, I don't want to watch a whole night just like speech, speech. This is the winner. It would have been good, but it was near yeah. the end, and we were just like, <laughs> "Can we leave now?" So I was like, "That would have been great in the middle or near the beginning." But and then also, I was just like, I was looking at, it, I was like, "So wait, we didn't get certain clips, but we couldn't get performances of the songs, which would have been amazing." Like, can you think about like if we got the Eurovision they did song? performances during the red carpet, like lead up. I heard that, yeah, which, again, a weird choice, but fine. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, like, during it would have been better, because can you imagine, mm, like, the whole crowd I'm very, yelling? I'm very sketch about live musical performances after the Lady Gaga Sam Smith year, because some songs are just performed better live, or the production's better, and then, like, they don't win, and you're just like, well, that's awkward. <laughs> no, but you have all of them perform. So it's just a fun night, like the Grammys. You know, they all perform. Oh, that stage could not no, handle but they, that. Even yeah. if all of them perform, then there's there's a there's a there's a market difference. Like, could you imagine if after like the John Legend common performance of Glory, they did not win? Like that would have been well. So all I'm awkward. saying is, I just want the whole crowd to yell, uh, "Play Yaya Ding Dong," and that, <laughs> and that would have been a. F- a, a there is no moment. chance that song was going to win. You know what? Actually, most people I know voted for it. So I am very pro. I mean, shouts to her Asian representation. Yes. She is one award away from an EGA and she's like, what, like 26 or some shit, like disgustingly talented, fly as fuck outfit. But I'm like, I think the best song should actually matter to the movie. Like, that's that's mm-hmm. my hot take. Like, I think it should yeah. move the plot of a movie along. Mm hmm. Or there should be a priority or like extra points mm-hmm. if it like matters to the plot and character development of a movie. So yes, Husavik should have won best song. <laughs> yes. Husavik. Uh, Husavik Rob, that's our hot take. It was yeah. oh my god, my bracket was like really all over the place because none of my I was playing with my non-industry friends. So some of them are just like very like keeping close eye on the conversation. Some of my friends like just don't watch movies at all, but they just wanted to play. So it's <laughs> everywhere. But the one consistent was every single person did down the line, like 12 people was like Chadwick Boseman, best actor. And when he didn't win, everyone's like, what? Mm-hmm. I just, yeah. yeah. As a person who has done shows that rely on judges, don't trust judges. <laughs> they will always let you down. <laughs> <laughs> you sound so like traumatized. Like, don't, don't trust them. Don't trust them. <laughs> That would have been a great narrative and all the signs are pointing to it, but it didn't happen. And you're stuck with like a really weird moment. And I feel bad for the producer, but at the same time, you took a big risk and didn't pay off. So you got to deal with it now. 
Yeah, that's the thing. It's like once you assume something about the Oscars, you know, you're going to be fucked because <laughs> I mean, it, it'd be one thing if it was just like, you know, not to shade any of the smaller categories. But, you know, if it was like a short doc and you got it wrong, it's like not going to change the thing. But if you're like dealing with the bigger categories, don't assume. So, yeah, that was a calculated risk and it did not pay off. Oh. Um, so, yeah. Wah, wah. <laughs> And yeah, that'll do it for our recap of the 2021 Oscars. Um, and now to wrap up the episode, we're going to do a quick lightning round of our monthly news segment, Do We Want This? Um, where we take a review on the top Asian American related entertainment stories. Han, what do you have for us this week? Uh, so it was announced, um, A24 announced that they finally have a director for the adaptation of uh, Vietnam Wins, The Sympathizer. And that is surprisingly, but maybe not a horrible choice, uh, director Park Chan-wook. Um, if you are uh, are familiar with his work, he did um, Old Boy, and, uh, Super Violent, and The Handmaiden, which was very pretty, but also super violent. Uh, <laughs> so, which is actually why I think, yes, it would have been perhaps best to have a Vietnamese director. Um, at this point, I'm not quite sure who would that would have been. And um, frankly, I do actually think that uh, his aesthetic, which is actually gorgeous, but also like super bloody. And um, it, I think it actually fits with, uh, with Sympathizer. It's, it's because the Sympathizer is not an easy read. <laughs> you have to be in a mood for it. And um, even Viet Thanh Nguyen uh, tweeted out the news be- and admitted he said that um that old boy was a huge influence on um him writing the sympathizer and as far as like the the feel of it so honestly i'm 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 still cautiously optimistic uh so it it, it was an interesting pairing and i and this is also where you're kind of you always have to think about this it's like we're excited for uh john m chu doing in the heights so you know it depending it might be aesthetically the correct choice um, because uh, he also, and it's also a big name. So I do have to say, I understand where that comes from too. So um, right now I'm kind of like, as I said, cautiously optimistic about this choice. Yeah. yeah do we want this? Um, I kind of, I'm, I'm okay with it too. I think if we're going straight up like vibes, um, Park Chan-wook's vibe definitely um matches up with the sympathizer i don't think the sympathizer is as bloody as some of his films but no. <laughs> it does involve like the vietnam war so there's definitely going to be like violence in it and i think there's also some murder that happens in the middle of the story it's also just not when pl- it's not dealing with pleasant emotions and like the handmaiden i really really loved it but it's not one where it's straightforward people being good to each other and i like the fact that uh it deals with those sort of like that idea of identity um, and betrayal. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it can work. Yeah. And it's going to be a TV series. So I'm interested to see how that works. And, you know, I mean, he has another book. So and it's a sequel. <laughs> so, you know, this could spell trilogy trilogy yeah. yeah i'm also the sympathizer universe <laughs> i mean i'm most excited about the sympathizer because there is a big chunk in the middle of that book that is literally about films about the vietnam war oh god yes mm-hmm. so I'm interested to see how that turns out. Uh, Jess, what's your story? Well, uh, unless you've been living under a rock or like you don't follow any Asian people on Twitter, the trailer for Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings dropped. And I think we all like kind of breathe a sigh of relief because it looks legit. It looks pretty (laughs) fucking amazing on multiple levels. I mean, Marvel, even when Marvel's like not that good, it's still pretty good. Let's let's be real i think we Mm -hmm. are a little spoiled and you know we have every right to critique them but like it's never unwatchable right like none of their movies has like unwatchable but even then i think the rep sweats just kind of kicked in right Mm -hmm. and i everything like the trailer looks super dope just visually stunning visual um the the snippets of the different fighting styles you know there was like that wuxia like frame <laughs> mm-hmm. like frame i'm just like oh like i did not expect to be going in that direction uh we get to see tony leung doing his tony leung mm. thing which is amazing and i guess in my head i was worried that he was gonna be like a straight out villain like uh like kind of what they did to ben kingsley <laughs> in like iron man 3 or like he's just gonna be kind of goony or fu manchui but you know it's very like 
Tony Leung playing cold, calculating dad. Ooh, like dad. I mean, he's dad and he's little. He's daddy a little bit. Um, and, you know, I think, the you know, we're getting a sense of the storyline and the core of it does seem to be Simu's character. I assume his name is Shang-Chi or that's his superhero <laughs> name. Very, like, super fan, guys, if you couldn't tell. Very, you know, comic I mean, book. Shang- Shang-Chi or Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi. Is it Shang-Chi? Shang-Chi? Because that just means, like, you're, like... Shang-Chi, like, go up? Or, like, up you have chi? a lot of heat, which is bad because you don't want heat in your... Right, <laughs> but but he does have heat, right? He's like a little angry, right? And he does have fireballs from his hands. It seems to be one of his powers, but at the core, it really seems like a familial, generational conflict, different expectations, family drama, which I think is a you know, I know I always say I'm tired of those, but there, you know, the fact that there's like the Marvel superhero dressing over, I think, is a really interesting, very grounded way to approach this story, these characters. And we've all had our version. You know, it starts off with him kind of going back to the place where he grew up. And, like, he's touching this pole that has, like, all these, like, punch marks in it that he had to, like, basically his dad, like, forced him to train there. I'm like, we all have that version of that pole with the punch marks in it. Some of us, it was a piano. (laughs) Some of us, it was a Kumon book. Okay. And I really related to that. And... I did see a really funny take, though, because I believe it's set in San Francisco. The The, the movie, uh, obviously, they did not shoot it in San Francisco, but the train or like subway they're supposed to be on is Muni. And someone was like, the most unbelievable part of this whole trailer, Muni does not look that nice. Uh, I was like, yeah, not the not the fireball hands or the wuxia or, you know, all that superhero shit. It's Muni looks too nice. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, do we want this? I, I definitely want to see this film i'm so my main i guess critique of the trailer is for some reason i feel like simu looks too clean cut to be a superhero <laughs> he's <laughs> like a kung fu I'm superhero excited, but, I, I, i'm imagining something like yes. i don't know we just know him i think that yeah, might be definitely part of it. <laughs> it's partly because we know him um i think that's like i think i just need to like i need to see more of like because he doesn't speak that much in the trailer, so you don't really no, get a sense of no, his character. He doesn't. Right? Yeah, but his I mean the action scenes that they showed with him, you know, like fighting those badges, like the martial looks arts looks great. really good. It, it looks, looks very like shot convincing. Really well, they have that they're doing different styles. Yeah. It looks really like it looks like at the very least the kung fu will be good. Yes. I I'm so excited because we've been on this sort of journey about like reclaiming martial arts for the Asians. Um <laughs> yes. we got Kung Fu Warriors been doing it for a while and then um Mortal Kombat came out which is not quite the same. Um but here we really 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 do have like it looks badass. So I'm excited to show people like no Cobra Kai that's like that's not even martial arts. Um this is like the legit thing. Um and Mortal Kombat, I, w- I liked some of the fighting there. Just some of it was also just not martial arts. I'm so, actually um, really excited to introduce the Western world to Tony Leung. <gasps> yeah, everyone. Oh, I'm going to have to share him now. Ugh, like, come on, please. Like, all of, you know, fine. Like, he's just so sexy. It's mm-hmm. like really upsetting. Like, and he was not like, well, he's like aged a little bit, but not that much for like the amount of time. Like, we've been watching him in yeah. film. Like, he's aged really well. Mm-hmm. And then there's, like, that whole patriarchal bullshit where, like, an like the older man gets, the hotter he gets. And I'm just like, okay. Yeah, I'm mad about the idea of that, but I'm not mad now. I, yeah, like, I, mean, I feel like he's such a prolific actor in Asia. And it's, it's wild that he hasn't seen... I mean, it's not surprising. He's well-beloved in, like, the white hipster world because, yeah. you Wong know, Kar-wai, they ride hard for yeah. Wong Kar yep. Wai. Yep. Yeah. So he's legendary in that field. But, you know, I want him. It's really fun whenever they bring really, like, high caliber actors into the Marvel universe, though. Because, you know, they're just fucking, like, having a really good yeah. time. I hope they're having a really good time. Like, when you bring, like, Anthony Hopkins, <laughs> speaking of, into, like, Thor. Or you bring, like, Kate Blanchett into Thor. And they're just, like, eating shit up left yeah. and right. Like, it's always a good and, time. And, you know... And like it's good that the film has an Asian director, Destin Daniel Cretton, who hopefully knows how to use Tony Leon because like the worst thing that would happen is he comes and they he's basically him, playing basically. a Fu Manchu analog, right? That's the character that he's playing. And I hope they do some work in like subverting that. Right. He doesn't just become like a Fu Manchu type character. 
I'm sure we'll, I mean, I, ideally we'll come out of this and there'll be a little bit of that killmongery <laughs> thing where we're just like, he's not wrong. <laughs> this guy's not wrong. Yeah. I mean, he's playing someone who represents like ancient China. And let's face it, ancient imperial China, kind of fashy. <laughs> but like, it was like, kind of like, they, they existed. I'm not trying to like defend fascism, but I'm like, you know, like they existed for a really long time. So like, it must have worked. Oh. Dope outfit. That's our Han blood talking right there. <laughs> I mean, I we are a result of that, Marvin. Like, what you, what can we say? We're like three thousand years of uninterrupted bloodline, you know? Huh. All right. Well, we're excited about that. Excited to learn more. What news do you have? All right. So my story is Gemma Chan is set to produce a podcast and film based on the true story of Vincent Chin. She's partnering with A Major and M88. Um, and the podcast media studio Q Code for a podcast table read of Hostel Vincent, um, which is the script that's also being adapted into the film, um, written by Johnny No and directed by twin brothers Aaron and Winston Tao. Do we want this? Yeah, I think here's the thing. Like, we know the Vincent Chin story, but for the most part, America doesn't still. Um, and I, I think podcast form pulls in a different type of crowd. So um, I also just like her being a producer. <laughs> I like it when actors take an active role in bringing stories to the public, um, especially ones that very clearly like mean something to her. So I'm I'm all for this. I think it might also be a different sort of storytelling than we're expecting. So, yeah, I'm 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 good for us. Yeah, I mean, um, Vincent Chin as a history is something that a lot of people probably won't know unless they took an Asian American history class or have or are involved in you know asian american circles during like apa history month which is when i still think it's a largely unknown history for a lot of people like not just asian americans but like americans in general so my question is because i don't know the script and i don't know if either of you have details on the script but what story of Chin is it going to tell is it going to tell the story of like the night of his murder or is it going to be the aftermath because those are two like two separate stories that are equally important to like the Asian American movement, right? I don't know the script. I do know the writer and I do. So like full disclaimer, I know the writer and I worked with him and I in fact chose him to be in a certain program. So like I trust the writer and his ability. <laughs> like I think he's a good writer, obviously. Um, so yeah, I think it is interesting what the framework of the narrative would be um, and 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 how that relates to all the other projects surrounding Vincent Chin that we know are like kind of coming up the pipeline too, because I do think there's room for multiple versions over more multiple formats. But um, yeah, it it'll be interesting to see which one gets made first and which one hits like culturally, yeah. like a cultural saturation. I think you know I, there's like a lot of different talent attaching to like different projects around town. Um, and this happens all the time. You know, mm-hmm. there's like one, you know, we had like Armageddon deep impact, like the same time. I we mean, have, for a while there was like three K town riot movies happening at the same time. Yeah. And then like one kind of eventually <laughs> makes it right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'll, it'll be interesting. I think, you know, there's still a certain level of power that cinema, even though people don't watch movies anymore, there's still a level of, cultural saturation that i think we only get with movies or netflix shows at this point mm-hmm. i just i'm just a little like i hope like they don't necessarily all come out the same time though because yeah. that does seem a little like traumatic for yeah. us as yeah. a community as a whole I'm like do we really it's, need to be like surrounded do we in really it? want to be yeah. reminded that there is no justice like, we don't our, need like yeah. four i honestly don't think we need like four projects about the same thing and like at the end of the day the weird thing is like vintage was like not an interesting dude he was a normal dude he apparently kind of had like a bit of a temper but like came from a working class background like loving family about to get married like that's kind of all we know about him mm-hmm. in the story yeah. and then like it's kind of tragic to define someone based on the horrible way they got murdered right yeah, yeah. so we're gonna keep our eyes on this project i'm sure we'll hear more about it as it comes along you know vincent chin is a very important story in the asian american history and the asian american movement and you know regardless of who comes out first the community is gonna be watching this project um wherever it comes out but yeah on that note that'll do it for this episode of the good pop culture club 
Um, thank you so much for joining us once again. Uh, Jess Han, if people want to follow your thoughts, where can they go? I'm on Twitter at Just Jude Tweets. And I am at Hanonymous. You can find me on Twitter at Marvin Yue. You can find the show at Good Pop Club. As always, thank you to the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts that we're a proud member of. Check out our fellow Potluck pods by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, thanks so much for listening. Um, we'll see you next time on Good Pop. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Marvin. And I'm Rira. We're the host of Books and Boba, a book club and podcast dedicated to books by Asian and Asian American authors. Every month we pick a book by an Asian author to read and discuss on the show. We read a wide variety of genres from contemporary to historical fiction, fantasy to memoirs, and crime thrillers to romance. Some of our past book club picks are Pachinko by Minjin Lee, Sorcerer to the Crown by Zen Cho, and Devotion of Suspect X by Keigo Higashino. We also go over what's new in the Asian American literary world and chat with some talented Asian authors about their work. So whether you want to start reading for fun again or diversify your TBR list, we got your Asian literature cravings covered. For more info, check out our website at booksandboba.com. You can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.